Roundup being brought to you by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. I'm Susan Littlefield, and what a week. If you didn't have the seatbelt on tight, you were definitely in for a crazy ride. And we ended up seeing numbers finish to the negative on a Friday, kind of closing down on that grain complex with not a lot of positive thoughts moving in towards the next week. But on the flip side of that, we saw the cattle take advantage of what happened in the grains with some higher numbers as well. How's that going to hold out as we head into next week? And believe it or not, the first part of August. We've got a lot to look at at this week's episode. So stick around. More's coming up. Imagine a future fueled by soy-based possibilities. A future where creativity and productivity live together under one roof. A future that takes you from point A to point B to point Z, all while ensuring brighter tomorrows for our next generation. A soy-based future? It's already here. Welcome back here. We are going to have a great conversation talking everything from weather to geopolitical and everything in between. As you can see, Mike Zuzolo joins us. He is with Global Commodity Analytics. And then we've got Sean Hackett with Hackett Financial Advisors. And gentlemen, quite the week. I want to kind of focus a little bit to start out with what's happening uh, weather-wise and, and how we see things moving. Uh, Mike, we'll start with you. I know that Kansas trying to get this wheat crop finished up in the harvest and, and a lot of concerns with a lot of high temperatures, high humidity which isn't conducive to getting wheat out of the field. No, I, I think it's time for us to draw out the uh, title tip back 23 now, Susan. I think we're entering that phase of the corn uh, productive uh, situation where we're going to see quite a bit of tip back in some very key states. And I think that makes it all the more disappointing and frustrating for both me and, and the clients and producers I work with who are suffering right now with the loss of yield. And, and specifically Iowa, southern Minnesota, um, those areas for the most part are really getting hurt. Last seven days of precip, looking at 20, 25 percent of normal throughout southern Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, states like that. Um, I, I think this is a big week from a standpoint that the trade clearly did not want to talk about the supply side issues and, and what you and I are talking about right now and what Sean's going to be talking about as well. Um, we've got the number three corn exporter with their exports now trapped due to increased intensity of the war. Uh, we saw the drought monitor go up four points for the corn. We're now double where we were in corn and drought versus last year and not very much rain on the way the next five days by most model counts. So I think when you look at that and you see that the September corn closed down a nickel on Friday and about 42 cents off its highs, you can kind of get an idea of why I'm frustrated and disappointed along with my clients. No kidding. Sean, what about for you as you look at this this weather and, and what it's meant to this crop this week? You personally like the hot weather. I don't know much to the north that uh, that is happy to see these heat indexes of 105 plus. Certainly not, but we always know, Susan, that we trade ahead. And just about every single weather model I'm aware of is calling for cooler than normal temperatures starting next week and continuing through the middle of August. And if there's anything we've learned over the years, we can have below normal rainfall as long as we get timely topsoil moisture in many areas, as long as it's not overly hot for a consistent period of time. And I think the trade this week said, yes, it was hot. Yes, it's not good, but it's not going to last. Cool weather is coming. And with there's enough sporadic rainfall from these hit and miss thunder showers, which 
of course, do not change the drought focus. It does help our genetics and the way we grow crops nowadays to get through. In fact, the crop tour for the spring wheat, you know, showed surprising resilience in areas that were really, really in rough shape. So I, I think the market's forcing on the temperature more so than the lack of moisture. At least that's the way we're looking at it. And we're hitting the month of August, gentlemen, and that means some pod filling time for the soybeans. Well, it does. And of course, cooler weather. If you're really going to hit the soybean crop hard, you need to get some super hot weather in that middle part of August. It does not look like we're going to get that. And you know, we think the soybean market coming down was appropriate based upon that cooler weather outlook. Mike, you kind of alluded, talk a little bit about disappointment and frustration from, from your clients as they look at this market, um, trying to keep the emotion out of a crop that in some fields might be dry, dying if it's dry land or just wondering, where am I going to be when the combines roll? Well, I think this week was a good week and kind of dovetailing what Sean just talked about with the soybeans. It was a good week to show us once again that soybeans can go up by themselves if given the right conditions, like with currencies, um, with fresh export sales almost daily and less fears of China. But they can't do it all by themselves and they can't keep making new contract highs. At least I don't think they can without the help of wheat, especially in the corn as well. So the grains at some point needed to come in here and say, we're on board with you, soy complex. Let's go higher. The exact opposite happens. And I think that's why we fell out of bed and that spread got kind of crushed on Friday. But I think the disappointment and frustration side of the equation, Susan, is the trade looks at the supply side very, very skeptically, while with the demand side, if there's any negative news on demand or if it stays weaker, they automatically think we've got one bushel too much. Let's keep ourselves down near the lows. And, you know, we're only about a dollar thirty from the May lows in soft red wheat. That was, I think, a 29 or 33 month low uh, in, in that uh, price action. And so here we are sitting with a seven year low in world wheat ending stocks, a nine year low in world wheat stocks to use ratios tightening rice supplies, tightening up of the Ukrainian situation, the number six wheat exporter in the world. And we're still only about a buck 25, buck 30 off of essentially a three-year low. And I think that just screams out to the trade. We're walking ourselves, I think, into a food crisis if we don't see these weather changes that Sean is talking about, because it's not just U.S. weather. This is a global weather issue. And the geopolitical side of it as well, um, that wondering what's going to happen. Are we going to get some grain shipped? And, and it all comes down to this one old old timer told me, he goes, Susan, we've been through this. We were through this from World War II. We're going through it again. People need to eat. And when wars happen, people starve. Yeah. And for me, just very briefly, for me, I still like watching that European market, that Paris wheat, that Paris corn. It's going to be our best gauge, I think, to finally finding a price low because it's going to find the most sensitivity of these spikes in prices if freight rates go up 20% like they did uh, on the Danube this week because of what's happened. And then that starts to follow through with more European exports because Ukraine can't get it out or it's too expensive. Then we can start changing, I think, the mindset of the trade. And, you know, Sean talked about the Fed. I think we're getting close to a neutral Fed. I would look for that by the time we get to around September. That probably will help also give the market and the funds more of an idea of not selling rallies and maybe starting to buy lows and buy dips. Well, you know, Sean, that kind of brings up the concern that we had from a, from a listener slash viewer talking fertilizer costs at this whole geopolitical continues. They're worried about what 24 is going to be like. Well, and the other factor is that, you know, natural gas prices 
have been really developing a very credible bottom here despite a cooler summer um, in the U.S. And, and actually some of our technical indicators are looking that it's starting to turn up. We're seeing production back off, more demand coming in from LNG exports. And, you know, winter is coming. We're probably not going to be blessed with another super warm Europe like they did last year. And so in my way of looking at it, given where fertilizer prices have come down and given where natural gas prices are currently at, I think this is a time to really be looking at an opportunity to lock in a fairly reasonable input cost when just not too long ago it was substantially higher. We're all on board with wanting to go ahead and do that. And especially if anything really happens here geopolitically and we get into this food crisis. And remember, rice does not, you know, India has put a ban on rice exports, which saved the market a year ago. We don't have that this time. And if we really get wheat and corn heading higher, which are voracious consumers of fertilizer, you know, we could be looking at a round two of, a, of some pretty significant upside potential. So I really think it makes perfect sense to be locking in and protecting upside price risks in the fertilizer market right now. Mike, do you have any concerns from a fuel perspective at this point? Yeah, I do. I think we, you know, tag teaming with that, what Sean just talked about, I think the market's done an excellent job of factoring in a Chinese recession in the energy markets, and that's held them back, crude oil especially, and therefore diesel and unleaded too. So if the Chinese stimulate their economy, which I think they will do here in the next couple, three weeks, Susan, and we also saw the strong GDP figures from the United States for Q2. Um, even though we're coming out of summer driving season, I think diesel needs to be locked in here. Probably a good idea. And that's something I'll probably be recommending on my weekly update. Let's talk about something positive and fun. And I'm going to throw this first to Sean as we switch over to livestock side. Back on Monday, limit up in the dairy trade. There is a lot of happy dairy farmers right now. Well, we, we, we actually went up $3 per 100 weight. Susan, in about a week's time frame, which is enormous. Of course, we came from record, record low margins, by the way, but mm -hmm. nonetheless, putting $3 on the market in a very short period of time really, really gave an opportunity, at least for short-term producers, to get some sales on the books at a level that does work for their business. And I do think it's a, it's a manifestation of a shift. We saw coal cow rates in the U.S. reach the highest level since 1986. Um, Talk about you know stimulus in China and how important they are for milk powder demand. African swine fever looks to be ending. Um, we're looking at the hog price in China finally spiking higher, suggesting her liquidation is over. We think that the dairy market has made an important low here in July, and we think the supply contraction side of the equation, along with Chinese improvement in demand, really sets the bar for a much much better outlook for dairy farmers heading into the first half of 24. All right. And finally, Mike, we'll get your thoughts on this feeder cattle market. Higher corn gives them some good opportunities as well. I'm assuming lower corn. Right. Yeah. That, that feeder corn ratio, very, very nice play still for the funds. I think this is the, one of those markets where with these semi-annual numbers now out from the USDA about a week ago now, Susan, looking for that seasonal turn, that cycle move, watching the bellies closely, watching that last summer holiday of the grilling season. So be on, on your toes on the livestock hedging. Well, gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us this or stay cool headed into the weekend. Thank you, Susan. I really appreciate it. Always Have a awesome. great weekend, Susan. Thank you.
Thanks, gentlemen. Of course, we remind you commodity futures and options do involve a substantial risk of loss, not suitable to all investors. And that's been a wrap-up of this week's Nebraska Soybean Board Weekly Market Roundup on the World Radio Network.